Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the Fulhamish podcast. My name is Sammy James. Joining me on this week's podcast is Ben Jarman, Don Betts and Farrell Monk. This is the show where we offer an informal sideways look at every Fulham game as it comes and goes. And while Saturday was pretty decent, a five-star performance by Fulham, will it be followed by a five-star podcast tonight? We'll wait and see. But it was a scintillating display by Fulham who blew away the championship's early pace setters. Only our second win in 10 and our first win at home since early August. And our first clean sheet away since Wigan away nearly 10 games ago. It was an incredible day uh, for all of us that were there to witness it. Dom, what do you think brought around this sudden change? Or do you think this was a result in waiting, given some of our performance in uh, the last few games? I think it just shows when you have every first-team player fit and available and you pick your best team, we do perform. And obviously we're going to move on to where we sort of thought the key thing in our start and then was, was the holding midfield position. We had Johansson and Scott McDonald. I thought Parker was going to play, but you don't want to be having two holding midfielders defensively at home. And I think Johansson, for me, was actually one of the best players in the game, bar like Sonia Luko. He, he really did uh, stand out for us, uh, Johansson. He seemed to bring that link in between defence and attack, which was missing uh, at the Aston Villa game. Great article by Jack, who's not here this week, uh, about that kind of uh, midfield pivot problem, as as uh, say, we'll come on to that. Uh, but Ben, we got off to a good early start on Saturday, mm-hmm. and that seems to be key, really. I looked at a couple of stats. It was the first time we've scored the opening goal since Blackburn away. Yep. Uh, and, we'd, and before Saturday, we'd only scored five times out of 16 uh, in the first half of games. We quite often find ourselves... Uh, going a goal behind. So clearly uh, going a goal, two goals, three goals, four goals, five goals, uh, (laughs) gave us that confidence to Sean. Yeah, definitely. It's really nice to see us coming out of the blocks and actually attacking uh, the side for once. I think quite often we let the other team settle into it and we try and let ourselves settle into passing the ball around, letting everyone get a touch and a feel for the ball. But it's actually really nice to see us using width from the start and actually having a Luko and likes of Piazza and Kearney running at the players and actually probing that back line early rather than letting them warm up for 10 or 15 minutes before we actually decide we want to have a shot at goal. But it wasn't all uh, fantastic goals on Saturday, Farrell, though. The, uh, I felt like it was was a good uh, goal, though, from Chris Martin to get us underway and good header from Sigurdsson to get it down to him. Uh, yeah, I mean, it wasn't the prettiest goal you've ever seen, but it was quite direct for a change rather than just pass, 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 pass that was going absolutely nowhere. And for once, we actually sort of worked it into a good position, didn't quite work, then go out, go back, go back again, then go forward again straight away. Um, and although it wasn't the prettiest, but it certainly was effective for a change rather than sort of try and not necessarily walk it into the net, but for a change actually sort of get it into an all right area where we can actually put a decent ball into the box rather than sort of pump it into the box from quite far away. We were actually trying to work it from the wide positions, which Ben correctly mm points out we are actually sort of getting it out wide 
and earlier for a change rather than sort of trying to play up to a Luco or Kearney or uh, Piazzon who were already at the fullbacks. We were actually sort of, those wingers had uh, so much more industry about them. They were picking the ball up early and trying to sort of run at the their fullbacks, trying to work them a bit more. And we were actually getting into those wing positions um, in decent positions a lot more and actually yeah. being able to actually put decent balls into the box for a change. Uh, one thing we talked about last week was the gap in between the front players and the midfield players. And this week it looked like much more like we were moving up as an organised unit, which was great. And I don't think we've used the width, as you correctly say, like that off that much and that heavily since Newcastle at home, which we did cause a lot of problems out wide, especially with the fullbacks. And I think Malone and Fred Fredericks in particular coming back gave us a, a lot more balance than Adoy does. He seems to get caught in the middle of nowhere. Um, but Frederick sort of does have that pace to make up for it. Um, and Wayne gives us nice balance as well, I feel. You mentioned the home form, and I mentioned it at the beginning, first home win uh, in the league uh, since Newcastle, the very first game of the entire domestic football season. <laughs> um, we've also got a, cup, a win in the cup against Middlesbrough, but yep. let's discount that because it's the EFL Cup. I nearly called it the Capital One or the Carling <laughs> Cup or the Milk Cup or whatever you want to call it, the Worthless Cup. Um, but we... Trained at Craven Cottage on Thursday. I noticed that on the Twitter timeline. Uh, and it was followed by a win. Maybe uh, the new team were unfamiliar with, with the surroundings of Craven Cottage. And I mean, I'm not saying that that one training session was fully responsible for Thursday, but maybe that has been a bit of a problem for the side. They weren't used to the surroundings of Craven Cottage. And what is uh, very much a changed team from last season? Yeah, I mean, if you're going to want to get used to the pitch you're playing on, because obviously Chrome Cottage is a lot different to a lot of other pitches in the division, and it always suit. It's, we've always had to have a system that suits Chrome Cottage pitch. That's why we were so good at home in the Premier League era, because we had a system that fitted our pitch so well, and the players knew it like the back of their hand. But also, when it, moving on to some of the goals that we scored on Saturday, I had a mate who was a Huddersfield fan who was at the game, and he said. You, Fulham realised that their defence was quite frail at the beginning of the game and as soon as the ball was in the box, Huddersfield looked like they were going to concede a goal. I thought we sort of noticed that early on and we were putting balls in the box and that's how we got a lot of our goals. Like with the third goal of Piazon's header, you wouldn't expect Piazon to be winning a header against one of their centre-offs. But he didn't even have a centre-half really challenging him. No, he sort of just stood back and it bounced off his head and went in. Yeah. I mean, what a run from Aluka. Alucinio, as I... uh, (laughs) coined on Saturday afternoon. He, a lot of people on forums and on Twitter kind of compared him to to an early Boa Morte. I mean, um, big, big claim. Mm. And he's only had maybe that one game where he really terrified the defence. But he was almost unplayable at times on Saturday. You always thought there was something about him as a player being able to do something like that, especially with the power and the pace he has. But he's become much more of a handful since they moved him out wide. And I think for the overall balance of the team and what we're trying to achieve, him being out on the wing, hugging the touchline, getting crosses in, does more for us than it would him playing through the centre off Martin. Because then it allows us to move Piazon or Kearney into that number 10 role and you get that guile and the creation that they give you. Um, I think Piazon's not uncomfortable being wide either, which sort of, again, lets them interchange quite a lot. And Piazon does a lot of work defensively. So if anything, Luco being out wide and playing so well actually benefits the whole team, um, to point out the obvious, rather than just himself. And that midfield trio of Kenny, Aluko and Piazon <coughs> seems to be gelling 
really nicely now. There was a really, really good move on um, on Saturday that I noticed. Nothing came of it, unfortunately, but, uh, well, there were other other things that did come off <laughs> as well. <laughs> Enough in the game. came off for us. <laughs> um, but when Aluko picked it, he actually tackled their uh, their fullback who was actually on, on their halfway line. He then played it back to Fredericks. Fredericks played it back to him. And then Aluko made a great Maisie run uh, into the midfield um, and then played it out wide for Scott Malone and then went all the way, right all the way to the left wing and then picked it all the way back up, up there as well. He'd run, made, he made the tackle uh, on the halfway line on the right, played a great ball inside, back, got, got the ball back into space, then uh, took around a couple of other players, played it all the way to our left back and then the left back played it down all the way down the line and all of a sudden he's in a really good position and... We didn't lose that shape because Piazza had realised that Aluko had gone all the way over there. He actually moved into the centre. Um, it went to him, it went back, and then it, the move broke down from there. But it just shows that we're now getting that understanding that we should see from some really talented footballers. Mm. All three of them are trying to get into the box as well. At the same time, we're seeing this overload more and more now that we weren't seeing in the early weeks of the season, especially when we had Matt Smith up front. It was quite clear that he was, um, how should I say, like, all by himself. And with Aluka, I've actually been impressed with him all season since he came into the side. I think he was just missing the assisting goals that a lot of fans were expecting him to get. Like I've been, I don't think really been a game that I've been unimpressed with him. Like the QPR game, he got a lot of stick, and it was only because he missed a penalty. Mm. Apart from the missed penalty, I thought he was one of our best players in that game. And I mean, it's just because he missed a penalty. I think that a lot of fans gave him stick for that, but. I'm just against left-footed penalty takers. So I don't think <laughs> yeah. a penalty takers should ever be left-footed. Well, finally, I think we've settled the debate that Chris Martin uh, should be our penalty taker. Um, no nonsense uh, from him. And now uh, five and four and Ben's uh, philosophy uh, that he came up with uh, before he started this scoring run uh, seems to be coming true now. Five and four. Um, he is starting to put together a bit of a run and he is crucial to the way we play. He allows those three in behind him uh, to be as creative and have as much space as they do. Yeah, it's that presence he gives us. Like You can see he's getting fitter and fitter every week. And I think for, for I th- believe it's the second goal, where he just nudges Casey Palmer off the ball. Um, could easily have been given as a foul. But we played on and capitalised on it straight away as obviously gives a real accurate representation of what he does for us, not only with goals, but also out of possession as well. I just think that once he gets running, he's a confident striker and you get a striker that's got that, he feels he's got that belief in himself, he'll just keep banging in the goals for us and and, and contributing in some other ways as well. He seems to have that energy of a confident striker that he always, as soon as we get the ball, he knows where he needs to go. He's getting into the right positions. He's not just trying to sort of run aimlessly into the six-yard area and try and sort of nick a header. He's actually sort of coming short a bit more and playing just those one, two-touch passes that you expect for a big, you know, number nine up up front. And it's kind of helping that, you know, those front three or four behind him are getting into the right positions to get it off Chris Martin. Because a few games ago, it would have been that Chris Martin would have got the ball, he's got a touch on it, and then all of a sudden, looking around, there's no one within 20, 30 yards of him. Well, he's got a touch of a uh, target man that I haven't seen since Bobby Zamora. Sometimes balls are pinged in at him at, at real pace and difficult heights and awkward balls. And very rarely does he miss his target of who he wants to then give it to behind him. He really does seem to offer us something different. And uh, looking away from the attack and into defence, Callas uh, came back into the side. First game 
uh, in seven. Uh, and we do seem to look a lot more assured with him at centre-back as opposed to Tim Ream with uh, Ragnar Sigurdsson. He just, there's something about it, he stabilises that fence so much more than a, a, a Tim Ream can or even like anybody like Michael Maddow or Ragnar Sigurdsson. There's just something about him and he's, he's so comfortable on the ball. Mm. He's such a good ball-playing centre-back and I think with him in the side, we just look so much more stable defensively. I think he's just such, you know, not without the ball, he's calmer as well. Nothing ever seems to be a last minute, you know, last second rash challenge or he's not diving in for a lot of challenges another defender would do. Um, I think it's one of those, I think a lot of people like to see a defender who's going to be lunging in and just nicking it off a striker. But he just, he anticipates it a bit more and he's able to sort of put himself in the in the best position even before the ball's got there just so that he can just sort of put a solid tackle in rather than just nick it off someone. Um, I think there's a lot of value in that as as well. It's, you know, it's a bit like a Rio Ferdinand or um, or a Gareth Southgate is. Uh, some of the, um, I think I was seeing uh, an interview with Sol Campbell uh, quite a while ago and he's saying one of the best centre-backs he ever played with was Gareth Southgate because nothing ever was a last-ditch challenge and it didn't need to be because he was always anticipating and sort of just getting where he needs to be straight away and that seems to be he has that similar mould of Callas. And I think we've had such odd and poor centre-backs in the last mm. few years, like the likes of Dan Burns, Hutchinson and Bodorov. Yep. It's like, it's funny, we've actually got a set of defenders who actually aren't that bad. They're, they're, all of them have pretty good all-round sort of um, traits if you're if you're looking at it that that way, I think Callas is obviously the standout because he's so calm beyond his years, and the way he can, as Farrell points out, is like the way he can anticipate how the ball is going to run or a, a certain type of play or a pass is just something that's invaluable, especially to a, a centre back. And for him to be playing this well so early, both in a Fulham career, um, trying to adapt to a system, but then so early and so mature is always a positive for Chelsea. Uh, but do you think? Yeah. Do you think that he has a future at Chelsea? I mean, so few of the kind of loney youth players have gone on to even remotely have what's close to a first team career. At the moment, Shalaba and Loftus Cheek are the closest to even breaking in there. Well, Victor Moses, he's uh, and Victor he's, Moses, he's been on loan for a long, long time now. All of a sudden, he's their first choice wing back. All of a sudden, yeah, he's starting week in, week out. So maybe there is some value there, but I mean, it's very few and far between. I think the championship should be renamed the Chelsea Loan League, pretty much. I think <laughs> not very catchy, though. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not in marketing. <laughs> um, I think well, Huddersfield had two Chelsea loanees as well, didn't they? Well, there were a total of four on the pitch, wasn't there? Yeah, in Palmer, Callas, Piazon, and one more who I can't, I can't think, think of right of, now. Yeah, but. Well, over our five goals, four of them were scored by lone players, right? Yes. Yeah, so Kevin <laughs> ones in the first half were by lone players. Yeah. And Kevin McDonald was the only yeah permanent, yeah, permanent player to Fulham employee him. to actually score a goal yeah. on Saturday. But that is very much the way of the second tier now. The loan system uh, is was part and parcel of, of this tier. And even the Premier League, there's, 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 the, there's your fair share of loanies going, mm. especially across countries <laughs> uh, and stuff like that. Um, so would you... Stick with this eleven now for the Brentford game. Uh, do you think Jukanovic will stick with this eleven for the Brentford game? I can't see a need to change it, and the only change, if you'd make it, would be maybe Scott. If you put Scott Parker in for Kevin McDonald, but apart from that, I can't really 
see a need to change it at all. Yeah, I don't think you can really justify changing a winning formula, especially if it wins by that much. And like you say, I, I don't know why. It, like the obvious change would be Scotty for Ke- Kevin McDonald, but it doesn't make sense to do that because he's had a week to recover. Uh, he played quite well, I thought. I actually thought he was really, really well. I actually thought Kevin was one of the weaker players on the pitch. I thought really? he always looked um, a bit off the pace, but I mean that's just how uh, opinions differ. But when I say weaker player on the pitch, I mean everyone was superb and he didn't have a particularly bad game. I think he's just got that gait about him that makes him look like he lumbers about. And especially the way he holds his upper body makes him look like he's technically not very good, but in actual fact, he's pretty astute on the ball. It wasn't actually a um, perfect performance in a way from Fulham. Huddersfield had their chances. It could have been a very different game in that sense, not really wanting to criticise. They definitely had two golden chances after Fulham went 1-0 up, they had... Uh, Harry Bunn's header. Yeah, that header was... That is nailed on. And it kind of it annoyed me a little bit when I was watching it back that no one was close to him at all whatsoever. He had he was alone with 10 yards... No no one within 10 yards of him within the, within the penalty box. And he'd been standing there for a long time and he was just screaming with his hand up. And none of our other defenders or the defensive centre mids were shouting get to him or anything so uh, I don't know who who crossed it towards him but he had all the time in the world to put that in the bottom corner well it was the one that Ryan Fredericks uh, nicked past the post which was very close and that was at 1-0 I mean I'm picking holes here I don't think it's it's a bad thing to be picking holes because obviously every team in the league has a chance but I think the most worrying thing is that all of those chances have come from pretty much the same sequence of play i.e. there's a cross into our box the full back or the centre back doesn't read what's happening and there's no communication in there and it's a header. QPR scored that exact goal. Forrest have scored that exact goal against us as well. Mm. And we've pointed out a couple of times on the pod over the past few weeks is that we tend to give up the same amount of chances and the same um, sequence of chances every single game. Straight after, the the, the one that Fredericks uh, put behind just nicked away from uh, the Huddersfield striker. From that, from that corner, they had another golden chance. It was... Mm. Just back post, centre back nodded it across and um, I think Naki Wells was just about to tap it in. Or no, Mark Hudson was just about to tap it in. Um, and he was free right in the middle of the six-yard area. If he just got a toe on that, that's one all. Well, it's I nice think... to get that bit of luck, though, for for once in a while where actually the, we took our chances and the other team didn't because I well we could all count uh, numerous times in the last few seasons where we've been on the end of something like this, even comprehensive defeats where we've gone, well, we had... We had chances. It didn't have to be this way. So it was quite nice, maybe, just to... Well, it was like that Leeds game. Was it the first scene we went down on the mid No, we lost like 2 or 3 nil. But we had like 15 shots mm. on target in the game. And Leeds fans, I had mates who were there, they're like, how have we won this game? <laughs> Fulham all over the whole game. But I did thought it was nice that David Button had a good game yeah. on Saturday because his distribution looked a lot better than it was against Aston Villa. Because I've not been the biggest fan of Button since he's come in, but I thought he had a good game, a solid game on Saturday. We've been going back to it quite a few times. His distribution has always been quite, you know, more often than not been all right, but it's just the fact he's been on the ball a lot more than any other keeper would be. Um, he, I think on, against Villa last week, he had something like 70-odd touches. And this week I looked at it and he had 40 touches, which is more like what a keeper should have in a game. I think uh, I looked at the last seven games and every single one of them, bar... Huddersfield game he had more touches than our striker 
which is just it's just not right at all whatsoever. And Dom mentioned it earlier, uh, and I said I, I promised I'd come back to it, and Jack Collins wrote an article on the brand new Fulhamish website. So please go check it out, fulhamish.co.uk. Uh, we'll have a lots more articles posted soon, hopefully reviews and previews and different features, and obviously we'll post all our podcasts up there. Uh, so please do go check it out. I've been slaving away, uh, coding late at night uh, to try and get that website uh, up and running. So it's all good. And his most recent article, which is at the top of the website, if you go onto it right now, is called The Pivot Problem. And it is all about the interesting debate. Uh, he basically argued, and I did not not agree with this, was that uh, Kevin McDonald and Scott Parker, good players they are, individually and they've got great legs in them and they do a lot of running and obviously Scott Parker is playing amazingly beyond his years uh, with an amount of energy that uh, a 35, 36-year-old shouldn't really have. But there was so much... uh, It was much clearer link-up when Johansson played with McDonald and I'm sure that Parker could fit in where McDonald uh, uh, doesn't, uh, say that Jokanovic wanted to change that. Uh, Do you agree um, that this potentially is the solution and that has been a key part of our problems uh, in the past dozen games. For me, uh, I do agree with that. I do agree with Jack's article as well and the fact that he wants to introduce Johansson as sort of a linking player. I think overall in any sort of system, it's a, the linking player is the one that's really, really underrated and it's quite rare to see that this sort of this type of player is actually getting quite a lot of um, spotlight from us on the podcast and I think it's quite clear that Fulham's system was lacking that uh, again I agree individually that Parker and K Mack are like great players um, but they don't work together they're too immobile and neither of them sort of have that ability to carry the ball forward that Johansson has Johansson is more than capable and believes in himself enough to break out of that two in, in the defensive um, midfield and move up um, into sort of between the lines, as it were, uh, to make it more from a four-two-three-one into a four-one-two-three, or like a glorified four-three-three, uh, as you were going to have it. So, if it was me, I'd I would definitely have Janssen in there. He keeps um, the, the flow of the game going much much quicker than uh, Parker does. Um, for me, he's much more creative. He can see much more. Like he's got sort of X-ray sort of vision. So for me, it's definitely Johansson. And I think Jack would probably agree because he loves him. Is Johansson the only player that can do it that we have? Does, can Tunnicliffe do that? I think Tunnicliffe could do it at a stretch. But I think a, a lot of people have probably forgotten about him. But uh, Lasse Vegan Christensen could probably do it <laughs> if we gave him the opportunity to. He's always been a really strong runner, but we tend to use him out wide, which mm. sort of limits what he can actually do. But I think centrally... You've got Sanchez Yozabed as well, who hasn't really featured, Mm. but when he's played, he hasn't looked out of place. And I know he played more of a number ten role in La Liga last year. Yeah, but he, I think, I think he could play that role if, if he needed to. Yeah, I think with Yozabed, he can play all the way through midfield, but he's one of those players that that prefers being in the opposition's half than he does in his own. And I think you can tell that by the way he sort of sauntered through Mm. the game when he was a defensive mid, as creatively great and technically brilliant as he is I'm not sure we could play him as a linker unless we're playing against a really weak side yeah would it is there an opportunity that he does actually fit into the team at the moment because with the front four in, uh, or five if you're including Johansson as well they're all quite industrious aren't they and, and Hosebe doesn't scream out to me as a guy that's going to be 
backwards and forwards, filling up the left wing, the right wing, going backwards, forwards. Sort of a bit of Brian Ruiz syndrome with your uh, hospital. You, mm. you sort of think that if he did come into the, the squad and the system, that he would get quite a bit of flack because he's not as industrious as the other front four or even five if you count Johansson as a forward player. That doesn't make him in any better or worse it, it, player. No, it doesn't. But like this is an English football crowd and you know what English football crowd's oh. like and Spanish players, if I'm going to tie them with the same brush, which I probably shouldn't, but I'm going to in this case, probably aren't going to be as industrious as they are. But he can offer something different. I feel mm. like if we put him on later in the game, looking to unlock something, maybe that would be a good good introduction. Well, we've it got is. a wealth of riches, really, at the moment in midfield. And then Iskandar doesn't seem to yeah. be anywhere near. You've mentioned Hosebed, you mentioned Tanakliff, Lasavik and Christensen. There's taste on yeah, the bench yeah. having cameos at the minute. I'd, be, I'd love to see him come back in, actually. Yeah. To have two pure wide players out would be, would be quite interesting to it's see. It's great for a change that we can actually sit here and talk about the the great bench that we actually have as well as a good starting eleven. I just can't believe that Hosebed is happy. Uh, no, I mean, no player's happy sitting on the bench, but happy to have come from La Liga, admittedly relegated, um, to be sitting on the bench for a, a mid-table premier, uh, for a mid-table championship club. But that's the situation he finds himself in now. And barring injuries or a massive dip in form for one of the others, he's going to be there for the foreseeable future. I don't think he'd be happy, but... Of course, like you say, no player's happy, but rumour has it that before Fulham he was meant to join Sevilla. So you're looking at going from the Champions League to Championship in the first place, and then to be sat, or, or not even in the 18, must be quite a kick in the teeth. And there's already a few articles going around on uh, Twitter that are mentioning and referencing that um, he may go out on loan already um, to Granada. Wow. Um, who aren't doing too, too well in La Liga as it currently stands. It's, it's not, there's obviously nothing wrong with him. He just doesn't fit into the system at the moment. There might be some time later on in the season where we decide to change the system up because we've been found out. And then all of a sudden, a player like Hosebed is someone that could come in or a player like Las Vegan Christensen. Hmm. There was um, beginning of last season uh, where Las Vegan Christensen, we were all singing his praises because he fit into the system. And he scored a wonderful goal against Huddersfield. Yeah, uh, yeah, it was a great goal. Um, and he was unplayable at times. Like he had a great got um, a great assist for Rodier against Leeds. He was very good against Brighton away that time. Um, but he 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 seemed we seemed to have found his position, which was sort of on the right of a diamond formation, which is quite rare though. Um, we're not going to be playing a diamond formation now, aren't we? It's like he's kind of frozen out because he's not really a winger and he's not he's not really a a, a number ten or a defensive midfielder. So. Unfortunately but, for him, he's not. He's obviously not. Ta- uh, he's obviously talented, but unfortunately, it just doesn't fit in. Yeah, because obviously, a system is obviously more important than the individual yeah, players. Absolutely, that's, that's any. That's in football in general. That's I've meant. I've mentioned it loads of times, but it's sort of why Leicester did so well last year because their system just worked so well with the likes of Okazaki and Vardy and Drinkwater and Hoof Morgan Kante. It's just a system is obviously a, is a lot more important than the individual players themselves. I know they may be technically better than someone else in the side. But if it doesn't fit the system, there's no need to play them. Yeah, I, to- I totally agree. And, and if Ukanovic, uh does seem to have found a magic formula, and by the way, we are far off from saying we have a magic formula. We have won one game and uh, admittedly it was a very enjoyable day uh, at the Cottage on Saturday. And I, I wanted to say this because last season... Uh, there was a couple of standout results. It was a fairly poor season in general. Uh, most of those standout results involved QPR uh, in one form or another. I just remember uh, the two 
QPR results, followed uh, by dreadful, dreadful performances uh, the week after. The home 4-0 was followed by the 3-0 defeat at home by Wolves. But it's very key that we follow up Saturday's great performance in this game at Brentford with a positive display. Otherwise, it's kind of all for nothing, really, isn't it? And Brentford on Friday night did look really impressive at QPR. But then it made me realise how did we lose to that QPR side because they were awful in that Friday night game. Brentford did look good. They had quite a few attacking wide players who did quite a bit of pace about them. But then we have that as well. Just we have a very poor record against Brentford, sort of what QPR had against us. Hopefully we can do what QPR did to us to them on Friday. Brentford will definitely be up for it because, as we've seen in the last couple of seasons, uh, bar the League Cup game, uh, but they had actually a weakened team that day, um, they'll definitely be up for it. Um, the, fir- the first time we actually were, re- it seemed like the Fulham players were really, really up for it was the two all uh, back end of last season. Um, but they've got actually, they've got a quite a good team going now. They finally got Scott Hogan back because he's been in and out of the team through injuries and in the time that he's been there he's been there quite a while now but now he's back in the team um he actually in the end he finished with seven and seven last year and now he's got eight and 12 so he's now firing on all all cylinders he's got a good run of the team because he's been in and out of the team i think he had ankle surgery um last year which is going to keep any anyone out for a little while and they've got they've got quite a solid team now because they've still got alan judge and um they've got josh mckechran who's been there a while now and They've got a new young winger called Josh Clark. Yeah, I he, think looked, he, is. he looked brilliant on yeah. Friday night. Uh, you got uh, Sawyers, they got from Walsall. He, yeah. looked, he looked good as well. So they've got. They've Funny got enough, that Sawyers was booed off a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, he was. They uh, the interview was like, oh, he hasn't been given uh, the right, or he's been given a lot of stick from the Brenda fans, and he was one of their best players yeah. with a wonderful finish for the second on I last think he got Friday. Man of, the, man of the match, I think he did. Yeah, it was either him or him and Clark were the two people getting interviewed on the Friday night game, and they ran the midfield. Mm. They were just. QPR just didn't have any chances in the game. Mm. Well, I mean, QPR are no mugs. I mean, they can grind out the results. They're only two points behind us. And it seemed like Brentford kind of made them look ordinary, um, if below average. So, you know, I think it's going to be one hell of a game on Friday, and I'm looking forward to it. I um, haven't got a ticket. I didn't think it would sell out so quickly. (laughs) So if anyone listening does have a spare, uh, do get in touch, at Fulhamish Pod on Twitter. I would very much appreciate your spare. Um, What are you you willing to do? See, I thought one of you might say this. Um, I don't know, what can I do in return? I mean, I'm not doing anything, like, weird. But like, why did you look at me when you said that? Well, no, because you asked the question and, and and you had that kind of mischievous look in your eye. I mean, like... What could I do? I, might, I mean, if I, I might mow your lawn. They can come on the pod next week. Yeah, you can come on the pod. Guest appearance. I'll buy you a beer. Sounds good to me. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> there you go. There's three things. <laughs> your, your lawn is mowed. You've got a beer and you're on the podcast. What more can you want in exchange for a £30 ticket? Um, so, yeah, get in touch. Uh, so it was a good win on Saturday, a, a 5-0 win. Uh, our biggest win uh, since Norwich in the opening game of the 2012-13 uh, season. And what an afternoon that was. Uh, things looked so bright with Moussa Dembele, uh, the first running the show. Um, but I was just trying to think of other times where we've really done a rout uh, against another team. Uh, it was the other win against Norwich that comes to hand, the 6-0 against QPR. The one I always remember quite fondly um, was the 6-1 against West Brom 
uh, under Coleman, I believe, uh, was a particularly enjoyable one because I think that was one of our first big, big wins uh, back in the Premier League. Uh, but the anomaly that I love uh, when it comes to uh, the big wins is the uh, 10-1 victory over Ipswich Town on Boxing Day 1963, which just sticks out in the record books like an absolute sore thumb. It gets mentioned at least every once business. a year. Yeah. <laughs> at least once a year, if not more. Comes up every single Boxing Day game on Sky Sports. Well, the, yeah. the weirdest thing about it is two days later, we lost 4-2. Well, so we haven't changed in the last 50 years then? <laughs> <laughs> How on earth was that possible? Do you know what? Do you reckon on Christmas Day, the Ipswich Town players just thought, oh, we're going out for some drinks today, lads? Must have been. Too much turkey. Too much turkey, too much mulled wine. <laughs> and the Fulham boys uh, had a quiet one and just gave them a pasting. I mean, how can you lose 10-1 and then, get, and then beat the team that beat you 10-1, 4-2 the following fixture? That's what you needed in uh, your football team, Farrell. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> so let's uh, finish off the podcast. Uh, where we uh, started last week with Forgotten Fulham, uh, the, uh, Dom, you weren't here. So this is our quest to try and put together an 11 of Fulham players uh, that have been forgotten down the years. And we're, we've got a bit of a recent bias, but we've got nothing against uh, players um, further afield than maybe, say, 20, 30 years. But it has got a bit of a recent bias, maybe because uh, it's what we uh, remember and it's in our memories. Um, so players that didn't play very much, but at least played. So they had to have played at least once. But like, we're looking more than 20 appearances and you're not viable uh, for this. Uh, so we finished uh, the goalkeeper and defence last week. I don't really know how we ended up deciding on who the back five was. We all put forward suggestions and then someone towards the end just hurriedly decided five and I scribbled it down on a piece of paper. So maybe we will figure out a more analytical approach uh, to our midfield today. And that's what we're doing. So at the moment, it's Martin Herrera in goal, Elias Omazusi at right back, Gabriel Zekawani at centre-back, partnered with Dean Leacock uh, and Nathan Ashton. Uh, less than around 30 appearances between them, roughly. Uh, so today we're looking for the midfield. It's up to us whether we go for a midfield trio, we go for a five in midfield, we go for a uh, more modern-day uh, midfield, or if we go with the old classic 4-4-2. But let's have your suggestions first before we uh, get into formations and more complex stuff. Ben, do you want to kick us off with a couple of suggestions for the forgotten midfield today? OK, my two are going to be Darren Prattley, uh, who played for us once in the League Cup, I believe, um, before being uh, shipped off uh, on loan twice to Brentford and then sold to Swansea for 100k. Um, scored a big goal for them in the half from the halfway line in their semi-final of the playoffs against Forest. Amazing goal. If any of you guys mm. remember that. Brilliant goal. Um, and then my second one is going to be Hammer Buatza, who um, <laughs> had a total of 20 appearances for us. And we paid actually three million for him. We loaned him out twice, um, and once to Birmingham, and he helped them get promoted up into the, the Premier League. Um, and then he left us and spent five uh, days in Turkey with Sivaspor, playing in a Champions League qualifier before realising that he didn't like it very much in Turkey, uh, and he was going to rip up his contract and, and bugger off somewhere else. That was an incredible goal he scored against Man City. Absolute mm. thumper of a free kick. He he played an absolute storm of that game. I remember that one. It was that was three all, wasn't it? Uh, yeah. yeah. He had quite a bad injury. He had injury problems. Like, yeah, he had injury it, problems. Was it like a shoulder injury? He also or? had talent problems as well. <laughs> well, actually, when we signed him from we signed him from Watford, didn't we? Yeah. For quite a, yeah. well for three million that was mentioned before, and I was quite happy we got him because yeah. with Watford he looked like in flashes that he was really good, sort of like a 
a old school De Jagger sort of player yeah. who's a free agent. Just now, very, very direct. He was yeah, quite really direct. direct and had a decent cross on him. I was quite excited when we when we bought him. Um, same as with De Jagger, but it just didn't really work out with injuries. Did I hear that right? You said he's a free agent. He is, yeah. He was released by Al Ali in September. To be fair, when De Jagger arrived, I just thought it was Hamuatsa part two. <laughs> I mean, they were both Iranian, they were both wing. I was like, maybe he scores a magical free kick at home. That'll do, that'll do you fine. <laughs> Because oh, I always really rated I, Ash Kanter Jagger. I rated De Jagger I as well. Him. I think when when he got injured uh, six months into his first season, whenever it was in January, that's when injury. it. Yeah, that's when it kind of our our form started to tail off a little bit. We missed that creative edge on the. And on he the was wing. the. He had a fun probe shot as well, yeah. didn't he? Right foot. That one against Everton at home yeah. was, was and yeah. he and that game at West Brom away the, on the second half of the season he was quality in that game yeah, as well. I think that was yeah. like Matroglu's. Like, is that one of his only fun appearances? Because he had played against Cardiff away and then I think played against West Brom away. I don't really remember Mitroglou playing much of that. And he played in that friendly against Crystal Palace last year <laughs> and everyone got excited that he might uh, play for Fulham. Like, nah, nah, he's, he's, he's not playing at the championship. Um, but, I mean, worth a I mean, worth, worth some contract negotiations. Then again, with our midfield at the moment. Yeah, uh, we might not need him. No, we might not need him. <laughs> he was the last uh, shining beacon, I thought, in the relegation season. I thought if anyone's going to claw us out of this, I think it was Ash Jagger. I thought yeah. he might just do it. But in the end, nothing could have saved us. Okay, so Maybe Darren... Dan Burnett right back. Yeah. That <laughs> <laughs> never was saving us. Well, Tankovic, false nine United away, which we actually got a point from. So, uh, I mean, it, did, it clearly worked. Clearly. What a day. What a day. So uh, Ben's gone for Darren Prattley, who ended up being uh, a bit of a Swansea legend, played a lot of games for them yeah, yeah. and um, played for them quite a lot in the Premier League. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. then Hammer Boatza. Uh Dom, who are you nominating for this well, the, midfield? The first one I always think about is Simon Elliott, the greatest New Zealand midfielder of all time, clearly. <laughs> <laughs> Apart from that Leighton or an FA Cup game, I don't, I don't remember many other appearances. He did. I, I do remember him playing a fair few times. He, had a, he used to take a lot of our set pieces, Probably a lot of for Bocanegra's goals, um, uh, but probably six months of the year. But that was about that's about it, really. And then I was there was a lot of options I could have chosen, but I finally went for the other one in Julian Milsom, his famous United away on a midweek night substitute appearance. So who? Julian Milsom. Oh, Robert Milsom. Robert Milsom. That's the guy on Twitter. Uh, right, yeah. Not Julian Milsom. That's some Fulham fan on Twitter. <laughs> well done to Julian Milsom. Yeah, no, uh, Robert Milsom. Is he? Is he? Do I want to start again? No, 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 it's absolutely fine. Sorry, the reason I kind of went quiet there is because I typed in Simon Elliott into Google subtly while you were... Um, and um, he doesn't come up first, the footballer. Simon Elliott was actually the name of ISIS leader uh, al-Baghdadi. What? Um, what? what? <laughs> yeah, was, was that, that was his real name. Sorry, that's why that threw me in my eyes. were going like... Surely that's not what happened. And if you're just uh, tuning into Fulhamish podcast, this is a football podcast. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyway, yeah, him, is, he, yeah. is he still at Aberdeen? I know no, he left Aberdeen. Because I know he was there a few years ago. And he went off to play for Brentford, I think he yeah. played for for a while. And they released him. He's now. I think he's a bit of a journeyman. He's now somewhere else and hasn't played for a while. Yeah. Uh, I can tell you that Robin Milsom now plays for Notts County. The journeyman, that's literally him. Only 29. Pick him up. Let's get him. <laughs> uh, and Farrell, who uh, are we picking there? Good suggestions there, Dom. Uh, uh, apart from the ISIS guy. I <laughs> uh, I was going to pick uh, Julian Milsom, but you yeah. got to be first. Oh, yeah, him. <laughs> um, good thing I've got some backups. Uh, so I'll go for Ian Selly first. Uh, we'll go a bit older. Um, he has a lot of promise about him. He played uh, quite a lot for Arsenal in the late 90s under Arsene Wenger, and it looked like he was getting a foothold in the team, and then he... He broke his leg 
And although it's not a long time ago, but I imagine it was quite serious at the time and he was out for a long time. And we picked him up for £500,000, which, I mean, we were a Division Two team at the time. It was a lot of money. Um, but unfortunately, after three appearances, he broke the other leg. And then he just fell into the sort of injury problems kind of person and became another journeyman, unfortunately, for him. It's such an unfortunate thing when you do pick up career-ending injuries. And if you haven't got like the profile of maybe being a top-flight footballer and you can fall back on... Um, other stuff really you can there's a lot of footballers that do go by the wayside and end up really not going back into kind of ordinary jobs um, to bring the tone down anyway uh, your second suggestion <laughs> let's, bring this, let's bring this one back up uh, the other one I've going for is Leon and- Andreasen yes um, he played a number of times under Roy Hodgson um, I tell you what if you played football manager at the time he was uh, all your dreams came true if you had him because <laughs> he was his twenties all over the place. It was brilliant, and he was on he was on a long contract for not a lot of money, <laughs> according to Football Manager. So that was great. Did he make his debut on the same day as Breda Hangland? He very well might have done. I have yeah. a feeling he did. They made their debuts together, but he kind of he just couldn't get into the team. I th- I think that um, he just couldn't break past the Dixon Atuhu <laughs> Murphy legendary partnership. When he can't get in the team above Dixon Atuhu. Well, he, reinvent- <laughs> he reinvented the Makalalia role into the Dixon Atuhu role. So. <laughs> the thing I love about Roy is that when he joined, the amount of, um, of guys from Scandinavia that come and joined almost immediately. Obviously, his career took him into Finland and Sweden quite a bit. But the likes of Bjorn Helgerisa that mm. came and joined and Andreas and and Hangeland, um, just from that area, was just brilliant. Uh, We've had uh, a lot of suggestions on Twitter, as one would expect. Uh, Another great response. I'm going to give a couple of suggestions uh, from Twitter uh, so that they can have their two pence worth. Uh, Craig Waite uh, with a great one. Bobby Petter. Uh, classic Bobby, Bobby Feta cheese <laughs> on loan from Celtic right? on loan from Celtic and uh, I googled him earlier he is now a personal trainer up in Glasgow brilliant so uh, if you are well, in the Glasgow position. area and you're looking for a bit of uh, fitness give Bobby Petter a, a tweet he's only got 8,000 followers I'm sure you'd, uh, he'd notice your tweet and uh, another one uh, here that I'm going to give... Uh, someone said Hosabed, um, <laughs> <laughs> which is quite good. Uh, who, one person I loved, he did play a bit for us, but not too much, uh, Andre Stolzes. Oh yeah. oh, yeah, yeah. He played quite a lot for us, I Has think. Has anyone said Andranic this week? Uh, Alexis Martin. Alexis, Alexis Martin's, Martin's a good shout. Yeah, Keanu Marsh-Brown. Uh, mm. Julian Gray. Who's the guy that went off and played in Finland for a while? Wayne Brown. That's the one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you got Ahmed Elrich as well, who wasn't didn't he get arrested or something like a couple of years Ahmed Elrich is so forgotten that people bring him up all the time. He yeah. just can't be forgotten. He's been mentioned in this podcast probably more than like Corley Woodrow has. <laughs> like he's been mentioned most weeks, Ahmed Elrich for one for one reason or another. Okay, well I'm gonna stick forward then uh Petter. And actually I'll go for Smertin. Uh he was also uh, suggested on Twitter. Uh, a, a couple of times as well. So I'll go for Alexi Smertin, uh, who I seem to remember half scoring against Tottenham yeah. uh, in the 3 all draw, the most looped deflection <laughs> that ever happened in history. So here we go. Ben said Darren Pratley, Hammer for Boatza. Dom said Simon Elliott and Robert Milson. Uh, Farrell said Ian Selly and Leon Andreasen. And then there's Bobby Petter and Alexi Smertin. What are we going to go for? We're going to go for midfield three, four or five? Love a midfield three. Yeah. yeah, that gives me more attacking options. Yeah, yeah, that gives more attacking options next week. I agree with that. Okay, that's settled. It's a three-man midfield. Who are we going to stick in there? 
I definitely want to put Petter in there because I definitely forgot about him altogether. Okay. Uh, I'd like to see. I'd like to see Bobby Petter. I'm not having Petter in there. Dom, are you uh, gonna go yeah. against the grain? No. Go for it. He's, go not, for he's it. not gone controversial here. Susan Britain's got talent. He's in. <laughs> I don't agree, Simon. Right. Uh, okay. Never do that again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Casual racism. Uh, anyone got a big claim for anyone else? No big claim because I think they all deserve it. They're all so forgotten <laughs> about. Don't forget, there's always a bench as well. So uh, if someone disagrees with you, I put Milsom in there as well. Yeah, I'd Milsom forgotten. Again. I'd yeah, forgotten Milsom. about Milsom for, for the halfway line goal for Swansea. Maybe Prattley. See, I, he's someone that had such a good career afterwards. I don't think he needs this plaudit. Yeah. Whereas some of these players need this. They, if, they <laughs> if they don't get anything else, at least they got into the forgotten Fulham. Maybe you get Andreas and just for the holding player. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, I, I can deal with that. And then um, we can have a. I think we can have a couple of substitutes in there. Should we put in Darren Prattley? Go on then. For the for the goal, just for the great goal. Just for the great goal. Yeah. Okay, Darren Prattley, and then there's one more. In a choice of Hamabuatsa, Simon Elliott, Ian Selly, and Alexi Smertin. Smertin. He was class at one point. He was and good. He wasn't very class when he came back to us. But My brother got Smertin on the back of his shirt, but he got, <laughs> oh, a, wow. he, he got it ordered and it came back as with an extra E, so it was Semertin. <laughs> <laughs> I wore a Fulham shirt once and the badge was upside down. <laughs> <laughs> that wow. is amazing. Yeah, Did you give it back? No, I sort of kept it for comedic value. Yeah, I was going to say. It at home, I think. It's like a protest badge. <laughs> yeah, I might put it on eBay. Well, the thing is, I didn't actually realise we were on a coach up to uh, Blackburn Rovers away, actually, and someone just looked at me and went, do you realise your badge is upside down? No. And I'd worn it out previously, probably to about three or four games before then, and I just hadn't even noticed. That is amazing. It was it was pretty good. People just thought you were an edgy Fulham fan with the with the upside down badge. That's it, Shoreditch Fulham fan. So there we go, a final three into our forgotten Fulham midfield. Leon Andreessen, Bobby Petter and Robert Milsom, a fine midfield trio, uh, if I do say so myself. On the bench, Darren Prattley and Alexi Smerton, meaning there's two sub spots and three attacking spots left uh, for next week's podcast, which will round off nicely uh, before the international break. Uh, chaps, thank you very much for being on the podcast this week. No worries. Thank you for having me in. Uh, exciting episode uh, next Monday uh, for Fulhamish. Obviously, uh, it'll be a big one after the derby uh, away at Brentford. Uh, and we're going to be Facebook living. We're going to try to Facebook live the episode. Uh, ben has a look of dread in his eyes. <laughs> we're not sure if the technology will work, but it should. I've practised it out today uh, and everything should be good. So, so at 6.30 next Monday night, we will try and um, not only record the podcast uh, for you to listen to on iTunes and Audio Boom and whatever podcast channel you listen to, but you will also be able to watch us at 6.30 live uh, on the Fulhamish Podcast Facebook page. Uh, so go give it a like now. We're very, I think we're at 99 likes. You've got to push it to that 100. You've got to push it to that 100. Uh, and also do check out the new website, uh, fullamish.co.uk. Uh, more articles to be uploaded very soon. Uh, hopefully with a few more contributors, uh, as Jack is the only person to have written articles on there at the moment. As good as they are, he needs some company on there. So, uh, chaps, uh, thank you for being on, and cheers for listening. We'll see you soon. <laughs> <laughs>